Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. <laughs> In 400 meters. In 100 meters. You have reached your destination. Hi, nice to see you again. Nice to have you. So today we're going to talk about blogging, I guess the business of blogging a little bit. And thank you so much for talking with me about that. So Bonnie, you've been blogging for over a decade, which is forever in blog years. I think I made that up, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it's forever in blog years. No, it's a, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. Can you describe your blog and tell us some of the things that you have to offer on your website? So the Koala Mom is a blog for moms and I write about family travel and homeschooling and books for moms and kids and movies that we like watching and things to do around Vancouver, I guess is a big part of the travel section. And it's just, it's yeah, really a family focused blog um, to help yeah, families hang out together and have fun and to really just encourage moms. I want to just, I guess, reach out to moms and, and create that um, a space for connection. I know, you know, sometimes motherhood is hard and we can feel very alone doing our dishes and our laundry and all the rest of that. And I've been very encouraged by other moms uh, online and in the blogosphere. And sometimes we live far away from friends or with little kids, it's hard to get out and, and to meet other moms. And so I really want my blog to be a space where we can encourage each other and I can just pass on some of the wisdom that has been passed on to me by other moms. That's so great. And we do need that connection. And it's amazing how we can connect even on something that seems impersonal, like the internet. With blogging, it really becomes personal and relationships can form and questions can get answered and encouragement can be given. So it's really neat that you have all of that. Now, when someone becomes a super good blogger, which I think I'd put you in that category, you sometimes you. find yourself helping other people with their blogs because they see what you're doing. So then you're the person to ask and they want to know how you're doing what you're doing and they want to know if they can do it too. And you just give them that encouragement just by being there that maybe they could do it too. And so you also offer mm -hmm. help and support and some articles and some blog posts about blogging. So in those in those posts, you give advice for bloggers. What are some ideas for making your blog look professional? I think a big one these days is images. You really need images on your blog and they really need to be high quality images. So you can take pictures on your phone, but you need to have a good phone with a really good camera on it. And they need to be well lit pictures, nothing blurry. 
nothing fuzzy and yeah just I think the photography is now really important and I'm starting to transition to taking more of my pictures with my DSLR if I can if I'm planning a post and I can actually get my DSLR out and, and do a shoot um, but I, yeah it's really just important to have good good images and if if you can't get well lit images when you're taking the pictures to make sure that you're editing photos before posting them on your blog and you know maybe cropping them a little bit but yeah just making sure that you have really good images that just add to what you're sharing you know I'm a writer and so I started as a writer and a lot of my early posts are just pages and pages of words right and, and I've started going back and editing a lot of them and adding images because it seems like today's reader is very visual and we like images we like seeing pictures to go with what we're reading and it helps you know if we're scrolling on our phones or other places break up the text and stuff like that so just yeah I mean writing is important but so is, is the images so I would put a lot of attention into that that's super good advice and I agree that we are getting kind of more and more visual and the other thing about images on your blog is that people will share your blog and a lot of the sh the ways that we share on social media are not the text we're sharing it's the image that we're sharing if it's going on to instagram it's yeah. it's a visual image if we're even sharing on facebook it's going to be a visual image if it's on pinterest it's definitely a visual a visual image so therefore our images are even important just for getting the word out and that's what often draws yeah. people in yeah. to to read what you have to say is the image one of my favorite vloggers on youtube farmhouse on boone i don't know if you've heard of it but she's a homeschooling mom who does some home study things and her farmhouse farmhouse on boone you can check it out i can link below too in the show notes for this episode yeah yeah she makes you know her own breads and has really cute little kids and she homeschools and they just got goats and you know all the cute things, but uh -huh. the reason I bring yeah. her up is because one of the keys to her success is, is her photography. It's really her mm -hmm. photography that grew her um, blog and her, um, and her YouTube channel. Because when I see one of her things come up on my feed, like I'm drawn to it because of her photography. And so I think that's really kind yeah. of the way of the future. And we're also going, you know, rapidly towards video as opposed to just still images as well. So that whole photography thing is yeah. super important. So that's good advice. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know quite a few bloggers, like I can think of bloggers and Instagram or like you said, where it's their images that really grab you and they have really strong photography. Um, that's still something, you know, it's been a hobby of mine for a long time, but something that I need to work on more. But yeah, images, I think also draw us closer to the other person. You know, you get the sense that you know them because you can see pictures of them. And so it's that face-to-face -face connection or as close as we can get to a face-to-face -face connection when we're, you know, separated by the internet. But we really crave, you know, seeing that other person and that smile and stuff like that. So that, I think images give us that a bit more than just the words, right? Yes. And speaking of smile, you have a stunning smile. So it's all over your <laughs> website. You. And I noticed it that it was very, very stunning. So just wanted to tell you that. Thank you. People probably want to know how can they earn a little bit of income from their blogging? I mean, even just having a website isn't free, right? 
So it's got to give back a little no, bit. It's not for most people. It's got to give back a little bit. How can they earn income from blogging? Mm -hmm. So I think the key here is to diversifying your income and not just having one way that you earn income on your blog. So I have, I guess, several income sources on my blog. One of the easiest ones is to start with affiliate links. So I'm an Amazon affiliate and I started that because I've always reviewed a lot of books on my blog. I enjoy reading and so I turned into a book reviewer and then that got me into the world of Amazon affiliates because when I was reviewing a book, I could include an affiliate link to it. And then as I started reviewing other products or even just blogging about other things on my blog, I could include affiliate links. And now that is, unless you've got a ton of traffic and you know a really dedicated audience or an audience who's really looking for a specific product, that is often just pennies, but it's, it's a start to just include some affiliate links. And then it also, when you're Having affiliate links on your blog gets your readers used to the fact that you're monetizing and that you are, you know, trying to make some money off your blog or trying to be a bit more professional and to, like you said, pay your blogging fees. So affiliate income is one way to start it. And there's many places you can become an affiliate besides Amazon. There's, you know, different homeschool companies that will let you promote their products and become an affiliate. So if there's something that you really love, a product that you love and you use, you know, you can see if you can become an affiliate, different things like that. Um, another way to make money is to work directly with a company on a sponsored post and get paid for writing a post promoting their product or their service. That's also something that I do quite a bit. And so that's usually, um, I will pitch them or they will pitch me and we'll come to an agreement and I will either, I will write the post for them or they may might write the post or provide some guideline on writing the post. And I will usually take the, the pictures. So again, photography is very important because they want their product or showcased to its best. And then they pay a fee once the blog post is up for promoting that product or sometimes it's a service, as I said. And then another thing that a lot of bloggers do is to create a product. And that's what I started doing a year ago when I wrote my books. So some products could be a book or an e-course or sometimes it's just little printables that you can sell on your blog, different things like that, that you can provide for a small fee, um, coaching, things like that for that bring in some income for your blog. So yeah, there's many different ways to monetize your blog. I guess you need to think about, you know, what the niche of your blog is and your audience and what you like doing and yeah, what works for you and your site. And you build it little by little, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although it can be good to have a plan, like to have a plan to grow your email list, for example. Yes. Yeah. So that's something else I would add about monetizing your blog is monetizing is important, but you can't monetize if you have no list or no traffic. So like you said, an email list is very important because you own that. Social media, as we all know, is very up and down, right? One minute, maybe your posts on Instagram are getting seen, and the next time you post, it's crickets. Nobody sees it. And Facebook is even worse. So social media can be good. Lots of people have done really well there and have really good following, but it can also be really tricky and really difficult, especially if you're a new blogger starting out now to get any traction on social media. So that's where building an email list, even from the very beginning of your blog, start building that email list and starts, you know, offering readers a little something. Um, it can be a little ebook or a little list or something that you can offer them to sign up for your email list. I have a set of printables, um, 
some quotes and prayers that I've just done, little cards and stuff like that that people can print and just something inspirational, right? And so readers can download that when they sign up for your email list and then you've got their email and you can keep in touch with them. So another way to monetize is to send uh, an email blast to your list, right? Some companies will pay for that. And that's, again, good if you have um, a good relationship with your email readers, if you're sending out regular newsletters and chatting with them on different subjects and they don't mind every once in a while if you chat with them about something specific because you've been paid to chat about that. The other thing that I think is really important is working on search engine optimization. And most of my traffic comes from either Google or Pinterest. We think of Pinterest as a social media site, but Pinterest is actually a search engine like Google. Exactly. It is very visual but SEO is important there. So I would say spend more time focusing on your SEO than on your social media, because that is where your growth will come and your traffic will come. And I think people on social media are more likely to scroll. They're kind of in a just browsing, let's look, let's be entertained for a bit kind of mood. Whereas if you get somebody who is searching for something specific on Pinterest or on Google, and then they end up on your blog, they're more likely to be very interested in that topic and possibly interested in buying what you're recommending because they've taken the time to look this up, to put something in a search engine. They've been thinking about it. They've formulated their question. They're on their computer and they want answers and information. And maybe they even want a specific product if they really like your review or recommendation. And so, yeah, take the time to learn about SEO and keywords and, and really from the beginning, work that into your site and, and yeah, take the time to learn and, and to focus on SEO because I think that's where you'll see the growth and the traffic in the long term. Yeah. And one of the ways you do that is by making sure that you have good keywords and, um, and that you're filling out some of the metadata. It depends on who your, you know, your web provider is and what programs you're using for your website. But I use Squarespace for my podcast website because it, um, it has the podcasting feed already built into it. So I, when I upload the audio, I don't have to then go to Lipson or some other podcasting platform to get it out into all the, you know, Google Play and all of that. The Squarespace has it built in. And um, right. it, it has a really good built-in search engine optimization with all the metadata and the keywords and the descriptions that really help me because I'm not, I'm not really an expert on all of that and I don't necessarily have time actually to become an expert on that but it kind of does it yes. a little bit for me so I found that to be very useful but other you know other people might prefer a WordPress site or something else that they're working with and that's totally fine too but those keywords yeah, I agree with are you. crucial. There are, yes. And there were great tools, like you said, where, you know, it's becoming easier for, you know, those of us who maybe aren't super technical to learn it. And there's great tools for us to use. So I do use WordPress for my blog. And I switched a few years back from Blogger. I started out on Blogger and then switched to WordPress. And one of the reasons was because, like you said, WordPress is better for SEO and keywords and the metadata than Blogger is. And um, WordPress also has a great plugin called Yoast. It's basically an SEO checklist that helps you with different things. So it's a tool you can use. You still need to know how to use the tools and to have some understanding of why you're using these tools. But like you said, there's great tools and choosing the right, I guess, host or the right, um, the right tools, the right place to put your website really does make a difference for SEO. 
And then that helps people find you. And then the encouragement and the help that you want to give, you can actually get to the people. We don't want to be all salesy. That's one thing I don't like being, no. and all spammy, I call it. I noticed that your blog, I'm not interrupted every five seconds by ads and things popping up and distracting me <laughs> from trying to read what I'm trying to read. And, you know, some websites are like that and, you know, good for them. And that's how they're monetizing. Yeah. I, I don't enjoy reading blogs that are constantly interrupted by all of that spammy stuff, I call it. So I noticed that yours isn't spammy. You. <laughs> yours is not spammy. And that is something that I noticed. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. That's, yeah, I have a few ads on it, but they're definitely kind of sparse and in the sidebar and out of the way. Um, so, and yeah, that's another way to monetize is to put ads on your site. And I agree with you that it can often get spammy. I notice it, especially on, I think, food bloggers, when I'm looking yes. up a recipe and you're trying to scroll down to get to the recipe and you're constantly scrolling past all these ads. And sometimes they aren't even related to the content. And I'm like, look, I'm on a food blogger. So why is there this ad for this other stuff that, you know, it's not even related to food or this recipe or what I'm looking for and why I'm here? Um, so yeah, I agree that, that there can be too many ads. It, it can get too spammy. So you, there does have to be a balance when monetizing your site. You have to be genuine and real and you can't, you, you don't want to, like you said, scare your readers away or, or annoy them and chase them away. You have to be real and genuine. And, and that comes down to thinking, you know, about what you're promoting and why you're promoting it. And, and if you're just promoting something to make money off of it, your readers are going to know when they're going to leave. Um, it has to be a product that you're really going to you're really going to want to stand behind, I guess. And, and that's important to be genuine. Exactly. To be real and genuine and, um, and it's okay to earn a living, but it's really great to give, give free content and really be helpful whether people decide to shop with you or not. That's, that's my philosophy yeah. anyway. And it's a philosophy that works. If yeah. you are, if you are listening and you are a food blogger, I was listening to a podcast, a business podcast, and um, and they said that one of the tips to put onto your food, like your recipe website, is that it is really helpful if you put a link that says jump to recipe um, that people can click on and get directly to the recipe because they're probably in their kitchen with their utensils out ready to go and <laughs> they don't want to scroll through all that stuff and maybe they'll look at that stuff yeah. later while the oven is preheating or while it's baking or whatever but if you have that link jump to recipe people will stay on your page longer and actually make the recipe so that's some advice that I heard from that from that uh podcast guest on another podcast i'll just share it with you i'll just pass yeah. it along if i yeah, can find I the link like, to it i'll i'll put it in the show notes yes and as a frequent user of recipes off pinterest i would agree with that <laughs> yes so sometimes bloggers and podcasters because really a podcast is an audio blog it's the same same mm -hmm. concept Sometimes we mm -hmm. wonder if anyone is really listening or reading um, what they have to share and how can we A, know if people are connecting and B, how can we make sure we're giving our audience what they need? So I'll ask the first one again, how, <laughs> how can we know if people are connecting with us or not? 
I agree. This one's really tough, especially these days, because, you know, way back when I started blogging over a decade ago, people left more comments on blogs and people would respond to other comments on blogs. And it was kind of really easy to see that people were reading your stuff and, and connecting with it. And now comments are scarce. Hardly anybody gets comments these days. And so it's a lot harder to tell what people are connecting with when they're on your site. So one thing that I do is look at my Google Analytics. So one thing that I find helpful is to look at my Google Analytics because then I can see where my traffic is, what people are looking at and what my top posts are. And I have a, a blog post actually about that, um, what my top 10 blog posts are, what I learned from my top posts. And I think it is handy to, and again, Google Analytics, you know, numbers, we're not all stats people who like looking at the numbers and sometimes I go cross-eyed, but it's pretty easy to get a list of your top posts on Google and to just see where your traffic is and what your readers are really connecting with. And my top posts on my blog have been pretty consistent over the past few years. They change a little bit, but they're, they're pretty consistent. And so that gives me a good idea of what, what readers are coming to my site for and what they want to see. And so that's, that's helpful, I think. And the other thing that I would say is every time I send out an email newsletter, I invite readers to respond to that. And I say, hit, hit reply, email me anytime. And I, I do have a few people reply to that, especially this year with COVID hitting, I got a lot of homeschool questions. And so that was just, it was kind of really fun to connect with my readers that way and to answer those emails and to see that, yeah, people were coming and reading homeschooling posts and coming with homeschooling questions and that I was able to answer that and to connect with them off the blog just in a more casual way. And so I would say the, ha have an email attached to your blog um, and invite people to contact you that way because, you know, sometimes somebody will and they'll have a question and you'll have a great conversation and a chance to connect with your readers that way. And that's, that's really cool. And that's why you do it. Yeah. And so you did answer the question how to make sure we're giving our audience what they need. Have you ever been surprised by what your top posts are? Or at least at the beginning? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm trying to think what my top posts are. Right now my top posts, or one of my top posts for ages has been patron saints of pregnancy and childbirth. And that is one that is number one on Google, I believe. If you Google patron saints of pregnancy or childbirth or, or any sort of thing like that, my post is number one. So that's been a very popular post. And I've had a few people email me with questions related to that post. Um, another post is my Starfall review post has been very popular. It's one of my top 10 posts. And so that tells me, you know, people are really looking for educational content for their homes, uh, for their preschoolers and things to keep preschoolers busy maybe while they're um, doing school with the older children. Um, another post that's very popular is, I, it was actually a guest post, somebody wrote it for me and it's face masks, DIY face masks to do with your kids. So just to have a spa day, it's five simple recipes that you can do and I've done spa days with my daughters. It's a lot of fun and my post is, that one gets me tons of traffic. So that's something that's, really popular with a lot of people. It's just these easy recipes with stuff from your kitchen that you can have this little fun bonding experience with your daughter, simple self-care. And again, that was, that was a surprise to me was that that, that post was, was so popular with so many people. So yeah, it's, it's worth digging into your analytics and looking, what are your top posts? What are people connecting with? Yes, and it can 
take a little learning to be able to access and connect everything for your analytics. Um, for me, I'll go back to Squarespace again. They have analytics built right in. So I was very surprised when I, I hadn't mm -hmm. been in for a while because I'm just getting back on track with the podcast. And when I saw what my numbers were in the summer for engagement with the podcast, it just about mm -hmm. fell over my chair. But it's like you said, it's that whole COVID thing. Everyone was checking out homeschooling and how to, what to do and how to do it. And so many questions. And so I do have a few episodes yeah. specifically for beginners on, on there and, and I, you know, even though I didn't have time to engage too much in the summer, at least they could go there and find some help and connect with some different resources. So that was, that was cool to see in my analytics because I hadn't looked in a little while, to be honest. Because I was getting so many questions about homeschooling and COVID, I realized this is something people really want to know about. And so I wrote a big long post for my blog about how to start homeschooling in BC. And here's what you need to know specific to this province. Um, and so, yeah, that was something new that came out of readers' questions. And I keep thinking, you know, as I keep answering questions, I'm like, I need to, you know, keep notes on some of these questions and, and write a few more posts around some of these questions that I, I keep getting. Yeah. Well, you learn in business when you keep getting the same questions over and over again, then you need to produce a content that goes with it that you can refer everyone to. And that becomes a yeah. more scalable than necessarily, yeah. you know, answering the same questions, even though you're happy to, but answering the same ones over and over again. That's when you, it's time yeah. for a blog post or a podcast episode or a little mini course or something when you keep getting the same questions over and over again in your business, whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. What would you say is the number one mistake that bloggers make? I think it's pushing out contests, content too fast. You know, we can get excited about something and just want to have it done, you know, or, or maybe we've got a deadline that we ignored and, we're writing something too late. Um, sometimes it's, yeah, just hasty content, I guess. So content that maybe you haven't properly done your keyword research for or optimized for social, for search engines or didn't take the time to take really good images for or to edit those images really well or proofreading is a big one. It just, I mean, my background is writing and editing. So it just drives me bonkers when I'm reading a post with really bad grammar. As a writer and editor, it's, it's, I really find it annoying to read a blog where there's a lot of grammar or spelling errors. And so I really think as bloggers, we need to proofread our work. And, you know, I often try to write a post and then come back to it a day or two later. Like I, when I'm, I really like to be able to schedule posts a little bit ahead so that I can write my review and then schedule it, say, two weeks out and then come back to it the next week and do a quick read over and see if there's anything that I missed the first time or mistakes that I made or better images that I want to add or something like that um, before I hit publish on it. So again, I would say, yeah, don't rush into it. Double check your work and just make sure it's the best quality that you can do. Yeah. And sometimes you need fresh eyes on it. Like there's the initial right. And then you need, when you go mm -hmm. back, you're like, you're like, no, this needs to change. And 
I was just tired, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I have a good, you know, like I said, my good friend, Anna, she's a fellow blog buddy. And so, yeah, sometimes we look at each other's work, um, especially with this, with our upcoming book. It's been good to, you know, pass that one back and forth and to have both of us looking at it. And then we hired a proofreader for it. Um, so I think especially if you're creating print content, you need to hire outside eyes. For my blog, my husband reads every post and he'll often say, you missed a word here or did you notice that you misspelled that? So he's my second set of eyes there. Question, how do you manage to be a blogger while mothering and homeschooling a busy family? <laughs> that was one of my questions. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's always a balancing act. I think there are seasons, yeah, definitely seasons that I see. So homeschooling is during the school year comes first. I try to get our school work done in the morning, and I find that the kids do their schoolwork best when we do it in the morning. So that's getting up, eating breakfast, and then jumping into the schoolwork. And right now, my older two girls are working independently. They're in grades six and seven. And then my younger two are the ones who need help. They're in grades K1 and grade two. And so with them, I basically just alternate who's doing school. So I'll do a little bit of work with my younger one, and then a little bit of work with my grade two, and then a little bit of work. And when I'm working with the other kid, they each get a break. And so it's just going back and forth with them until they're all done school. And then I can say, hey, you guys go play. And then I can sit down at my computer and you know catch up on email or maybe write a blog post or do something like that. And, you know, sometimes they're done school by noon and I have a couple hours and sometimes they're done school by two o'clock and it's a little bit less time. This year with the blended homeschool program, part of our motivation for doing that was a little bit for me, um, was that I would have two days a week of a bit more quiet. It's not all of the kids out of the house. I still have the younger two at home, but they play really well together most of the time. And so then I have two days when I try to focus on my blog or my books and get some writing done. And then I find that makes the homeschooling the other three days a bit easier because I feel less stressed, I guess. As a mom, I need that creative outlet. Like I find if I don't have a chance to write, I get super stressed and just super grumpy, I guess. And so it's, yeah, just being able to find what's, what fills me up and makes me happy so that I can fill them up and keep them happy. And like I said, I do recognize that there are seasons. And so sometimes it comes down to asking my husband, hey, can you watch a movie with the kids tonight? Cause I have a deadline or I have a podcast interview that I need to do. Or this weekend, could you take the kids out and go play at a park for a bit or do this activity with them because I'd really like to work on the next chapter in my book. Um, he did that quite a bit actually when I was writing my, my Saint books. Uh, he, or Sunday mornings were a good one because he had them all out at rugby. And so he'd take all the kids with him and play with the younger one who wasn't playing rugby. And I had a couple hours that I could write. And I really look forward to that quiet time every week when it was yeah, two solid hours with no kids at all when I could get some writing done. And I can look at some of my homeschooling friends. Um, Bonnie Landry is kind of a homeschool mentor on the island. And I've seen her. The other Bonnie. She was homeschooling. Yes, the other Bonnie. Yeah. Um, when I first met her, she was homeschooling a lot more kids. And now she just has, I think, a couple kids at home because a lot of hers have left the nest. And so I see her. She started a podcast now, too. And she's doing a lot more writing. And so I can see that you know, they're not little forever. They, they grow up and they start moving out, well, moving out, I guess, or, or not needing me as much. You know, there, there will come a time when they won't be asking me for help with every second math problem. And so, yeah, it's, it's right now, this is the stage that I'm in. And even with that, I do manage to, yeah, fit in the time to blog and to write two books and hopefully write a few more books. And somewhere down the road, I'll get back to writing fiction and fantasy. Um, when there's less distractions in the house, but yeah, it's, it's stages. Seasons. That's for sure. 
So I just want to give you an opportunity as we're winding down to tell us about a couple of things. One is because you're a writer, you actually, um, people can work with you and you can write for them. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah. So on my blog, the write from or work with me section is mostly for brands and businesses that are looking for um, sponsored posts or product reviews or social media shout outs or an ambassadorship, which is more of a long-term relationship with a blog where I would promote their product over several months. Um, I'm trying to think I've had an ambassadorship with a couple different brands. I'm trying to think of which ones. Um, teaching textbooks and online math provider I did work with for a little bit. We tried their program. And so that was an ongoing, you know, several months of trying the program and writing about it and stuff like that. That's the one that jumps to mind right now, the most recent one that I've worked on probably. So yeah, just different ways of monetizing. I've also worked as an editor for other people. I've edited a couple of books and I really enjoy doing that. But again, that's something that's a bit hard to do with a busy family. I really need quiet space in order to edit. And so I haven't done a lot of that lately. And I have guests posted for other blogs or written for other blogs, but most of the content that I write for brands goes up on my own blog. Yes. Yes. Editing really requires a lot of focus. Like you can't just like Mm -hmm. snatch 10 minutes here or snatch 10 minutes there because you have to almost go back to the beginning to be in the headspace for it. Yeah. I do some of that too. And it's, I do need to have focused time um, because it's, and especially if the book is long, it (laughs) takes a lot of focused time. Tell us about your Martyrs and Saints books. I want to give you a chance to talk about those before we have to wind down completely. Yeah, so those actually came out of homeschooling. Um, I was chatting with a friend of mine. She's a fellow homeschool mom with kids about the same age as mine. And we've used the same homeschool program for the last, I think we're going on five years with the same homeschool program. We started it together. And uh, the homeschool program is called RC History or Connecting with History. We both really like it. And it's built on a classical model. It's got four years. So the first year we start with ancient history and then they do early medieval history and then later medieval Renaissance history. And then in the fourth year, they do American history because they're still working on their world history module. And so my friend and I, we did the first three years of the program together with our kids. And then we're looking at this American history year and we're like, we don't want to spend a whole year doing American history. And so we decided to do a year of Canadian history and basically to kind of create our own curriculum based on the, I guess the inspiration that we, for this curriculum that we had been using is to, you know, read a lot of great books with our kids and have some hands-on activities and stuff like that. And so we, we found some other homeschool moms that were interested in doing this with us. And so we had five, five homeschool families. I think we had 23 kids. And so it was basically my friend and I doing a lot of research and coming up with the topics and the books and the content that we were going to cover. And then every two weeks we would get together and do activities with our kids, crafts and games and stuff like that to really try to bring this history alive. And we got to the end of October and we decided to, we're all Catholic homeschoolers, so we decided to host a Canadian All Saints Day party and to focus on the Canadian saints. Because here in Canada we have 14 Uh, saints who are all lived in the 1600s. One of them is a little bit later than that. One of them was in the 1900s, early 1900s. But anyways, in those those 300 years, we have some really cool saints. And so we had all the kids, they drew a name and then they dressed up as the saint that they were assigned to, to be. And I went looking online for some activities to do. And I was 
looking for, you know, crafts and games and the usual All Saints Day sort of activities. There's usually tons of this. And I went looking for stuff for the Canadian Saints and there was nothing. <laughs> there was a little bit about St. Kateri Tekakwita because she's a very popular saint. And there was a little bit about St. Andre Bessette. He's the, the saint from the 1900s because he was the most recently canonized Canadian saint. And other than that, there was like nothing about the Canadian saints. And so I ended up creating activities for our, our party. I made a bingo for the kids to play with all the Canadian saints. And I made some word searches and crossword puzzles and stuff like that for them to do at the party. And they had a lot of fun with it. And that kind of made me realize that there's this need, I guess. There's, there's nothing on the market for teaching our kids about these saints. And so I decided to create it. If you can't find it, make it yourself, right? And so I sat down and the first obvious group of saints is the, the Canadian martyrs or the North American martyrs. So these were eight Jesuit priests who came to North America in the 1600s. Uh, they were all French priests, sorry, they weren't all priests. They were all Frenchmen. Uh, six of them were priests and two of them were laymen and they were all martyred by the Iroquois. Um, and they, they all have different stories and it was a lot of fun to research them. I, I'm a history geek. I really enjoyed the research and putting together the stories. Yes. And coming up with the activities. And so, yeah, my, my books are very hands-on activity books for kids. I have a two page bio of each saint and then a variety of activities kind of to help the kids learn about the saint's life. And so there's word searches and mazes and um, a translation, a decoding puzzle for the kids, which they really enjoyed. That's, I think, one of the most popular activities in the book. Um, but I wanted them to have the experience of these priests came to a new world and had to learn a new language. So that was the experience that I was trying to give the kids in this book with this little decoding activity. And so just a lot of fun stuff like that. And then I did a second book about the other six Canadian saints, um, including St. Kateri Tekakwita and St. Andre Bisset. And it was a lot of fun. And so now I think my next project is to move on to the American Saints. And I actually had somebody, you know, ask me that, are, are you going to do the American Saints next? Um, and it's, yeah, I've gotten really great response to, to these books. And it was a lot of fun, but it, it came out of being a homeschool mom. And I want these resources for my kids and I can't find them. So I guess I will make them. <laughs> that sounds so great. Yes, in Headphone History Volume when we go to about 1670 and um and then volume two we kind of circle back a little bit so i do talk about some of those martyrs um, because that's an important part of our history um, here in canada mm -hmm. although it wasn't necessarily canada per se at the time right but, yes but yeah so that is so cool so i will mm -hmm. put a link to your website on the podcast show notes for this episode and then people can check those things out. Thank you. What advice would you give to someone who has an idea for a book or a curriculum since you've been through this process, as have I, and, um, and it's, it can be involved, but what would you, what advice would you give? I would say first do your market research. So I knew from looking for, looking for ideas for things to do with my kids with for this activity that there wasn't anything out there but even you know as I started writing and I started researching the martyrs you know I kept looking for are there kids books about these saints are there other books about these saints and there's some of the saints there isn't any books about them at all even for adults and so I had to be really creative with my research but you know the more that I researched the more that I realized there really is a gap here there is no content on these saints 
And so I knew that I was filling a hole in the market. And so I would just really encourage you to, to look at your market and to think about your product and does it, does it fill a hole and make sure it's not overlapping with a different product or duplicating a different product. And then the next thing that I would say is to break it down into chunks. Um, for me, I had, you know, the eight saints that I was writing about. So I kind of had eight chunks and that felt doable, right? I could write about one saint in, you know, a week or maybe two. I could just, you know, like I said, I had those two hours when my husband was out with the kids. And so I could hammer through a bunch of research and, and write a biography. And then the next week I could, you know, create some of the mazes and the puzzles and the activities. And so the, the chunks kind of made it more doable because I could go, yes, I've finished this saint. I can move on to the next saint. And so I think the idea of like writing a whole book or, you know, creating a whole, um, you know, like a whole video series or a whole e-course can be really daunting. So if you can break it down into sections, then it makes it a lot more doable. That is super good advice. I know, I know when I was writing Headphone History Volume 2, which I think is about 80,000 words, <laughs> plus all the research that went in before all those words, right. there were days when I really just had to say, okay, I need to write 500 words, <laughs> even though like yeah. the content itself was more important, but I had that already outlined. But just even breaking yeah. it down into these smaller goals, because otherwise it's, it can be very daunting. So they say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. And you had your outline, so you knew what to tackle yes. next, right? When you have that time yes. to sit down and write, you look at your outline and you say, okay, 500 words on this topic, let's go. Yeah. Sometimes it was hard to decide what to put in and what not to put in. Because there, there are a lot of centuries mm -hmm. to cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but once you have your outline, that really helps for sure, depending on what you're doing, if mm -hmm. you need an outline. But that is very good advice. Thank you. Well, it's been so great talking with you. I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. And you can check out everything to do with Bonnie's blog on the show notes for this episode. I'll link it there. Or you can go to is it koalamom.com? It's thekoalamom.com. Yeah, it's way back when I was looking for my domain name, somebody already had koalamom.com. So I had to add the little the in front of it. <laughs> that makes sense. Sometimes searching for a domain name can be disappointing. So I have the same name mm -hmm. as the actor who plays Mr. Bean. So I can't get, oh, a, yeah. I can't get a website in my name. <laughs> it's already taken. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So. There you go. Well, thanks so much. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun chatting. Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada! Hee <laughs> hee!